Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me yet, my name is Lisa Owens, and it is my privilege to serve as part of the pastoral team here. I also have the privilege this morning of closing out the series that we've been in throughout the month of November called Breakthrough. But before I do that, would you pray one more time with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you know by now, thanks Mike, that we called this series Breakthrough because more than anything else, we wanted to ground ourselves in wonder and law for what God has done for us in this, in this month that we traditionally reflect with thanksgiving on God's abundant goodness to us in our lives and in the world around us, past, present, and future. How could we miss an opportunity to talk about this incredible love that he has shown for us in his words to us. But not just in his words, we know that by now, in that compelling love that has just compelled him over and over again to break through the words with himself, the word. It's what we've seen over and over again throughout this series. Is my hair doing the mic? These mics are not made for long curly hair, I fear. <laughs> Are we okay? All right. Thanks, Danny. So it's what we've seen over and over again. Danny showed us that God broke through in the creation, the written and the spoken word, the incarnation. Jed showed us that God broke through in the resurrection, in the formation of the church. And Britt showed us last week that God broke through in the preservation and the wide-scale distribution of this to us to this day. It's what we've seen as we study throughout this, this book together this month is that the Bible, the written words of God, this is your first, no, it's not a fill in the blank, I think, is that the Bible, the written words of God, has always been and will always be about God's desire to break through to our hearts with himself, the word. And you guys, we just cannot resist a good breakthrough story, can we? Britt talked about this last week when he was talking about underdogs, whether it's in TV, movies, books, the natural world, historical events, we love when our hero breaks through all those obstacles, right, to win the day in the end. And sometimes they are ridiculous obstacles, right? Absolutely absurd. Like in some of these movies where our hero is surrounded by like hundreds of villains and somehow they just manage to break through right at the end. And sometimes it's a lot more realistic and inspiring and moving because our hero is a real life person overcoming real-life obstacles and challenges to fulfilling their dreams. And, uh, yeah, fulfilling their dreams and getting what they want in life. And somehow they just manage to muster all of that strength and courage and conviction that they need to make it happen in the end. And we all just want to cheer, right? Well, I thought about a, like a billion different clips 
that I could show you because this theme is so prevalent in our culture, but we're at the tail end of Thanksgiving weekend here. And so a lot of us have had something else on our minds and on our screens. And so I wanted to show you a different kind of equally inspiring breakthrough. So Megan, would you roll that first clip? So now they've got to start from deep in their end of the field, and Garrison Hurst takes advantage of it. Takes the handoff, sweeps to his right, gets to the 20. He's at the 30. Needs to cut in. He comes back up the right sideline. Breaks the third tackle. Comes down to the 30. He's down to the 20. He's down to the 10. He's down to the 5. He's into the end zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, 49ers. 96-yard run from scrimmage. Garrison Hurst bringing tackle after tackle. Sweeps down the sideline. Throws off bodies like clothes after a marathon. And he goes into the end zone. Niners win it. Young, back to throw. In trouble. He's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs. Gets away again. Goes to the 40. Gets away again. To the 35. Cuts back at the 30. To the 20. The 50. The 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. Away to Barry off the right. Barry to the 45 and bumps to the 40. Breaks it 35 30. He scores. Unbelievable. Touchdown. Isn't that incredible? It just gives you this chills to see that, right? I can confess, I'm not even really a football fan. I had to ask Matthew to find me some running plays, but when he did, we sat at the kitchen bar together with my laptop, just like mesmerized, captivated for way longer than we intended to because none of us can resist that kind of against all odds, against all obstacles kind of breakthrough. And what Danny and Jed and then Britt showed us at that is that this thing that I hold in my hands right here is actually that kind of breakthrough story, that kind that captivates and mesmerizes us. Because in this case, the hero of our story is the God who made us who knows us and adores us, overcoming tremendous obstacles to break through to us. And he does it in this, in his words to us. What Danny and Jed and Britt showed us week after week is that this is what God has always been doing. It's what he's all about. And so we can know without a shadow of a doubt that the living word is still breaking through today, this very day and every single day to come after this day. A couple weeks ago in our life group, we spent some time talking about the very first Bible that we ever owned. Do you guys remember your very first Bible? And then we talked about the Bible that we're currently using, kind of our go-to Bible, the one that when we're ready to do some study, we pull out. I know that for a lot of us, we would probably pull it out of our purse or out of our pocket because it's on our phone. Um, but for those of us who do have kind of a go-to Bible, do you mark it up? Do you highlight, do you underline? I don't, I don't use an app. Can you do that on these apps? Can you kind of underline and whatnot? Well, if you do, if you are somebody who maybe puts a little star, writes a date, do you ever pull out your Bible sometimes and you find something and you think, huh, now why did I do that? Because you just, you don't even remember. You, it doesn't hit you in the same way. It doesn't hit you in the gut in the same way mean the same thing that it must have at some point in time when you are compelled to pick up a pen or a pencil and permanently alter this because you didn't want to forget that moment. You didn't want to forget that truth and what it meant to you. I would venture to say that that's actually probably not that uncommon 
for a lot of us here because what we know is that those marks, those underlines, those highlights, those are not actually just marks in pen or pencil. Those are actually recordings of an encounter, a meeting, an experience that you had of God, God meeting you here, the living word meeting you here in the words, the light bulb turning on, breakthrough. I want to do something kind of funny. I want to tell you the story of my toe ring, which is weird to do on a Sunday morning. I know that, but it's going to make sense. I, I thought about wearing sandals today so that you could see it, but it's way too cold for that, so you're going to have to trust me. I have a toe ring on my second toe over on this foot that I have worn for the past 16 years. 16 years. It's a long time. 16 years ago, I was at a Sunridge Women's Retreat at Twin Peaks Conference Center, which, by the way, is where our middle schoolers and high schoolers are going to be going for winter camp in January. There's still time to sign up for that if you're interested. I was there as a younger, much, much younger version of Lisa. Two little kids, ages one and three. I know that's hard to picture, right? Me being younger, so I brought a picture of that. Those two babies are here, home from college on the East Coast, over here. You can check them out later. Um, <laughs> I was... Uh, I was there, we were seriously considering adding a third to the mix just to make things even more wild at home, which she did, we love our live. I was on MOPS leadership at the time, as I know a lot of you here are currently or have been in the past. Matthew and I were leading a life group. We were deeply invested at, these, at this church, had our hands in all kinds of ministry here. And I felt on a lot. And I went to that retreat, a very spiritually dry woman there supposedly to pour out living water onto the other women there. And I could spend more time talking about what that felt like, but I don't think I need to because I think that most of us here know what that feels like. I think that most of us here can acknowledge that we have these seasons that just feel kind of empty, that we feel like it's really, really hard to believe some of this, really hard to believe in our gut. I'm sorry, that's probably super obnoxious. Is that okay? Should I switch to a hand? I'm going to keep going. <laughs> really hard to believe that, um, that God likes us and that he loves us. And so it was Saturday morning, or Saturday afternoon rather, free time, and all my friends went off to the various free time activities, and I stayed by myself on the patio, kind of the introvert in me, delighted for a little bit of alone time, and I sat there with my pen and my journal and my Bible. And um, I was just exhausted, and I was kind of ready to have it out with God. And so I sat there, and in my most weary, honest self, I said to him, God, I am really tired of having to try so hard to believe that you love me. It doesn't feel true, and it doesn't seem true. And that is destroying me. And I don't really have time to describe what happened, but um, it was wild. Something wild happened in the course of a couple of hours. Should I switch? Okay, let me switch. One sec. It's a cliff. <laughs> okay, this is going to be better. In the course of a couple of hours, um, of being there and actually some very surprising interaction with Romans chapter 8 verses 14 
through 16, something wild happened. And, and to this day, I really don't have words to describe it because how do you describe, how do you adequately describe that all of a sudden on a random retreat center patio, God is with you, that he meets you there. And all of a sudden, and he's pointing out things in here and saying, do you see this? This is true. This is what is really real about you and about me and about how all this works. It was undeniable and unmistakable. And I never wanted to forget it because it changed everything about my life and how I saw myself and how I saw God. And so I wrote that date next to that little verse in that Bible. And I ran off to the retreat center gift shop because I wanted to buy something to commemorate that moment. And the only thing I could find <laughs> was a silver toe ring. <laughs> I, t I kid you not, if there had been a tattoo studio at that retreat center, which parents fear not, there is not a tattoo studio. If there had been, I am pretty sure I would have gotten a tattoo because that is how significant that moment was to me. And I never wanted to forget it. Alas, no tattoo, just a toe ring that I have never taken off in 16 years. And I know that I'm probably not the only person here who has a story like that about this. And likewise, I know that I'm not the only person here with kind of a much smaller, more small scale, more quiet, behind the scenes, we might even call it ordinary, encounter of the living word in this, those moments of breakthrough. This morning, we're going to do a little, things a little bit differently, even more differently than they already have been. And we're going to spend some time um, in just one story of scripture. We're going to pull out just one photo from that family photo album to use that metaphor that Jed used last week. It is one of my favorites. And so he, Jed told us last week that we can learn a lot about each other based on our favorite scripture passages. So feel free to analyze me later. This is one of my favorites. And it's perfect because it comes from the book of Luke, which we're starting our sermon series on Luke next week. But we're not going to actually get to this story until way, way, way at the very end, which is actually going to be after Easter 2022. So we're going to have kind of this really cool bookend effect on this series. The, my favorite line in this story is, were not our hearts burning within us? Who can tell me what we usually caption this photo? The Emmaus Road. That's right, the road to Emmaus. So we're going to start reading in chapter 24 at verse 13. Let's read together. Either pull out your Bible or your phone, or you can read along on the screens. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Okay, let's pause for a second, because it says on that same day. We kind of need to know what day that is. And if we go back a little bit further, we see that it's only the most important day in human history, the day that Christ was resurrected from the dead, Easter Sunday, so to speak. And it says, two of them. So who are these of them people? And again, we go back a little further in Luke, and we see that they are two of the disciples that have been in Jerusalem in that course of that week when Christ was betrayed, arrested, put on trial, and crucified. And so we can already know about these two, that they are walking away from what is potentially the most traumatic few days of their lives. And um, they're going to Emmaus, which is most likely their hometown. And it's also likely that they might have a sense of fleeing. As known followers of Christ, they might be afraid that they're next on the list for arrest. So let's keep on reading. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. 
While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he, Jesus, said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? Which I think is interesting. Jesus got himself kind of playing dumb for their sake at this point. They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? I think it's interesting here. He's a little bit sassy in his response to Jesus, which is interesting, but he is grieving and um, afraid for his life, so we're going to give him a little bit of a break. Jesus, he, Jesus asked them, what things? Again, Jesus wanting to hear how they're going to describe this, how they're processing these events in their lives. They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he, Jesus, said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Jesus, a little bit spicy in his response to Cleopas, but maybe responding to the attitude that he just got, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter in his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he, Jesus, walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the other eleven, and their companions gathered there. So the, the they, then it says they, the they there are the, the other disciples who had stayed back in Jerusalem, hidden away in that upper room. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they, our two disciples from Emmaus, told what had happened on the road and how he had been known, made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Okay, we're going to stop there, even though the story just keeps on going and is so, so good. That's a little teaser for our Luke study, because I would suggest that this account, this snapshot that we've pulled out today has some really important things to say to us about walking as disciples on the road to breakthrough. The first thing I think that we see in this snapshot is that breakthrough happens when we read the written words of scripture through the lens of the living word, Jesus. This story from scripture reminds us that we can read, meditate on, memorize, recite, chew on, discuss, argue about, go back and forth with every, everybody we know about, about these words. And as critical as all of that is to our understanding, we know at the end of the day that we are utterly dependent on the living God to provide an accurate interpretation of what we are reading. 
I think it's very interesting that um, the word used for in verse 27 when it says, um, for what Jesus did when he interpreted the scripture for, for them, that's the Greek word, dear main usin. Thank you, Danny, for that Greek pronunciation. That is the word that we get the word hermeneutics from, that kind of fancy seminary word that you hear people throwing around sometimes. When we and other people use that word, we're talking about the principles or the methods that are used when we go to this, when we're trying to figure out what this is all about and what this is trying to say. And because we know that there are a lot of different methods, principles, ways, lenses that people use when they go to this, we can say that there are a lot of different hermeneutical approaches. And so when we hear scholars and theologians and pastors who might claim to have kind of the one true way of doing that, right? The, they're going to do it God's way or interpreting Jesus's way, so to speak. We can know that we are all human, right? Subject to our very human brains with all of our preconceptions and our biases and our past experiences and our very human longings and fears. And so, of course, all of that will come into play when we go to this, despite our, all of our very worthy efforts to avoid it. We see that happening with our two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? Even though they clearly had a background of scripture, they knew their Hebrew scriptures, but they were still lacking essential understanding about what they were all about, because they say that they had hoped that Jesus was the one who would redeem Israel. They had read the Hebrew scriptures, and they had gotten an idea of what the Messiah would be like as the Redeemer that was perhaps more based on their very human longings and desires than it was on God's vision of redemption as portrayed in the fullness of Hebrew scriptures. Because for these disciples and a lot like them, the redemption that they expected from their Messiah was an actual political liberation from Israel's enemies, in this case, the Roman rulers. That word used there for redeem actually occurs all over the Old Testament. It's really common there. It's used over 90 times there, and it's usually translated to set free. And it's in the context of the Exodus story, that time that, that God literally set the Hebrew people free from slavery, from the Egyptian slavery. And so it wasn't until Jesus opened this up for them that they were able to see that breakthrough happened. They had that aha moment of, oh, with, re with suffering, with death, come, come redemption. And so the counsel for us in this story is right there. The counsel for us is to read the written words through the lens of the living word, Jesus. Jesus is clear in this chapter in Luke, that all of scripture reveals him, if only we have eyes to see it. And so we must read from that foundation of who we know Christ to be. Anything that at first reading doesn't seem like it kind of meshes or jives with what we know of Christ, that invites further wrestling with the text. And fair warning in that, like these two disciples, we have to know that Jesus might call us out a little bit for our foolishness and our slow of heartness, he might, he might kind of kick back against us a little bit and, and, and hold us accountable for our stubbornness in our set ways with a little bit of spiciness like he did for Cleopas. But we know that it's all in his love for us because he doesn't want us to miss out on the living word. 
with the way that we insist on handling the words. And so when we do invite him to open our eyes to the truths in this, we have to expect that he might actually do it. And it might not look the way that we had thought. It might not look like that at all. It might not look like our expectations or the, or the old way of seeing it. And it might not look like the way we were taught by very smart and well-intentioned people. I mean, that was true for the, the two disciples, right, on the road to Emmaus. They, they could have very well have claimed that their, their expectation of a triumphant Messiah, victorious Messiah, was based on Scripture. It was the majority idea at the time, and yet it was based on a very selective reading of the passages in the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus calls them out because in verse 25, they are slow to believe all that the prophets spoke. They had grabbed onto those passages that told them what they wanted to hear and spoke of Israel's victory over its enemies and the restoration of land and independence and its king. And they had passed over those passages that spoke of the suffering and the death of the Messiah. But when we get the interpretation of the words from the word himself, we get a more accurate understanding of who Christ is and what he's all about, and thereby a greater intimacy in knowing him and ability to follow him. Secondly, this is your next, this is your next fill in the blank. Another thing we are shown in this account, the snapshot we have, is that there are obstacles to breakthrough. An obstacle to breakthrough is anything that prevents the living word from encountering people in this, anything that prevents those aha moments, those moments of divine revelation in scripture. For example, what were some of the obstacles that faced our two friends on the road to Emmaus? We see a lot of them in this story, actually. If we think back on verses 22 through 24, we remember that Cleopas was kind of explaining to Jesus that a number of the women had said that, that Jesus was alive, right? They had claimed that Jesus was alive, that, that people had seen Christ. And what we learn if we go back a little bit further in this story is that some of the women that Cleopas was referring to here are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James. Not exactly nobodies who nobody knew or could trust at the time. These were women that many of the gospel accounts have as eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They were at the cross of Christ when he was crucified, when so many others abandoned him. And yet Luke tells us in verse 11 that the apostles considered these women's words an idle tale, not to be believed or trusted. An obstacle to breakthrough for these disciples and a lot like them was the fact that they were unable to consider a woman's testimony valid. They were immersed in a patriarchal culture and religious system at the time that did not recognize the experience and the credibility of women. A second obstacle that we see exemplified in this account are very deeply entrenched preconceived notions about how religion should be, what this should all kind of look like. For these two, it was what the Messiah needed to look like, right? And then finally, we see Jesus confront that obstacle of the inability to believe the possibility of what seems impossible, life after death that most absurd notion that our entire faith kind of hinges upon, right? So these were some of their obstacles, but the thing that we know about obstacles to breakthrough is that they're as diverse and as varied as every single one of us here is and every single person out there is. For example, for me, being at that women's retreat 
some of my obstacles, I will spare you all the gory details, but suffice it to say that I was in a season of my life that was very works-oriented. I had kind of immersed myself in a lot of teaching that was very heavy on the living righteously part of our faith and a little bit more lacking in the God loves me just as I am department. I also was in a season of my life that was very busy with family obligations. And so it was really hard for me internally to believe that it was a valid use of my time to spend the time in this that it would take to kind of get after some of this stuff with God. I know that all of us here probably could think of some of our own obstacles that we face with this and some that face the people that we know and love. I came up with just a few. See if any of these resonate with you. Finding the Bible so hard to believe, or not hard to believe rather, but hard to understand that we just kind of give up on it. Feeling like the Bible is too outdated or obsolete or boring or even not intellectual enough thinking we basically kind of know the Bible already because our American culture has historically been so steeped in it. Being convinced that we already have the right interpretation of the Bible, either our own or that of a prominent pastor or theologian, and so we don't really need the living word to be the one to interpret this for us. Being previously hurt by the church in a way that closes us off to what's in here. Having a lifestyle that is so surrounded by it and immersed in it that we can eventually grow a little bit apathetic to it, a little bit cold-hearted to it. That Honestly, that can be a danger of growing up in the church. On the other hand, an obstacle is not being exposed to this at all. I can remember as a sixth grader going to a sleepover at a friend's house, and when it's time to go to bed, she pulled out a Bible and started reading it. And I thought that was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen. I had no idea that that was anything that people did. That was true for me. An obstacle can be having a pace of life, of course, that makes no time for this. And then finally, one that a lot of times we in, here in America don't think of is, is not having a Bible in our language of origin, in our heart language. This is actually something that over one and a half billion people on the planet are facing right now, not having an entire Bible in their own language. Those are legitimate obstacles. You guys, if this were one of our movies, our hero would be surrounded by villains. We'd be wondering if they were going to save the day. If it were a football game, uh, we'd be looking at those big defenders and we'd be thinking, I don't know if the touchdown is going to happen this time, but check this out because this is, this is the third thing that we're going to talk about today with this snapshot. Another thing we see here is that the living word consistently overcomes obstacles through ordinary people like you and me. Okay, I'm about to walk a fine line of cheesiness here by extending our football metaphor, but go with me because I think it's going to be worth it in the end. Megan, would you roll that second clip, please? Crowd silent now, as opposed to when the Saints have the ball. Oh, look at this run! What a run! Marshawn Lynch! Still on his feet! Has blockers now! He's dancing his way for the touchdown! Okay, guys, who... Who were the linemen in this clip? Who are the linemen? Not a lot of answers. I, I'm afraid a lot of you were like me, and you had to go, I had, to, had to go to footballfordummies.com to figure out the names of these people. Okay, if you're like me, the linemen are the guys on the offense who, who block, right? 
who blocks so that that guy with the ball can keep on running. Did you notice how they, they anticipate? They run alongside. They throw their bodies in the way. They do everything that they can to block those other guys, defenders, defenders, so that the guy with the ball can go through and make the touchdown. Well, here we go. Just like those linemen, anticipating, noticing, seeing, doing everything they can for that touchdown. You and I, as followers of and people co-missioned with Christ, get the wild privilege of playing a part in the living word breaking through to others in the words. It's what we see with our two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Immediately after their eyes are opened, they leap up, right? They leap up from the table that same hour, the scripture says. Even though it's dark by now, they've already come the full seven miles from Jerusalem. They go back into the heart of danger. Why? Because they are compelled. They're compelled to tell their brothers and sisters, we had it wrong. Jesus is the Messiah from scripture. And what's more, He's alive to ordinary people, helping overcome obstacles for other people. We see it in the past. We see it all over the New Testament. It just abounds with stories about people doing this for each other. Britt showed us last week heroes of our faith who overcame enormous obstacles to get this to us today. And what we, the modern church, have to recognize is that this is still how God is doing this through ordinary people like you and like me. There's missionaries to this day, right now, who are out there in the world, who are living with people, learning about them well enough to be able to translate this into their language. We actually have a family from Sunridge out there in the world doing this right now, and I would love to tell you about them sometime. Here closer to home, here in the U.S., so many of us are familiar with all these new translations, right? All these new versions of the Bible, all written and designed by ordinary Christians to help translate the words, so to speak, to all these modern readers, all these different subcultures, generations out there in a way that will resonate, get in to our hearts and minds. I have to tell you about one of these new translations that just came out in September. This is the First Nations version of the Bible. This just came out. It was published in September. And what, what was found is that while most First Nations people do, in fact, speak English, of course, it was found that there was often a disconnect between American English and the cultural and linguistic thought patterns of First Nations people. And so this new version recounts the Christian scriptures in a way that more closely follows the tradition of native storytellers' oral cultures. This is a way that resonates in the hearts and minds of First Nations people. I want to show you an example of this. A lot of us here are extra familiar with Romans chapter 12, verse 2, because this was our guiding, our guiding uh, series passage for this past summer when we were in spiritual formation. This is the NRSV version. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We know that verse, right? Well, here it is in the First Nations version. Do not permit the ways of this world to mold and shape you. Instead, let Creator change you from the inside out. In the way a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, He will do this by giving you a new way of thinking, 
seeing and walking, then you will know for sure what the Great Spirit wants for you, things that are good, that make the heart glad, and that help you walk the path of becoming a mature and true human being. Isn't that incredible? And what is wild to recognize in this, a brand new translation, is that not, is it, it's not only overcoming obstacles for First Nations people by resonating in their hearts and minds. It's also overcoming obstacles for non-Indigenous American Christians who are reading this and having the scripture brought to life in new ways because familiar passages are no longer familiar, and that can be a good thing. That obstacle of being a little bit too familiar with the words for our own good does come into play at times. We can acknowledge that. And then, of course, we got to talk about all these new forms of modern media that are taking, getting what's in here out there to people who would normally never crack open one of these or who are like this and, and do crack it open but still really struggle with it sometimes, still struggle to understand it. How about all these new podcasts, Bible podcasts out there? There's hilarious ones, right? And then there's also more geeky ones that a lot of people here are obsessed about, like the Bible Project. Uh, there's daily Bible audio podcasts that you can just listen to it. And then, of course, there's all these new apps that are getting past that obstacle of feeling like we don't have time or energy to get to it. Because here it is with me, right, wherever I am, wherever I'm going. There are musicians, singers, songwriters right now who are devoting their craft to bringing scripture to life, to hearts in ways that penetrate. And then there are visual and performing artists as well right now who are creating kind of creative and visual representations of scripture that are accessing that different part of our brain. All of these things carefully cultivated by followers of Christ who are devoting their lives and craft to studying and knowing and creatively engaging with this, and then valuing people well enough to learn about them and learn what they bring to this and how they might play a part in preparing a pathway for Christ. And those are very public, upfront examples of how this happens. But we can know that for you and I, the participation that we most often will are going to have with other people is going to be far more kind of small scale and behind the scenes and quiet with the people who are already in our lives. Equally important, though, the people in our home, our coworkers, the people that we interact with online, students in our schools, all people who have obstacles in their perception of this. What are those obstacles? I have no idea, right? We said that they are as unique and varied as every single one of us is. You may know what your own obstacles are. You may know what they are for the people in your life. You may have no idea at all. But either way, the opportunity and the calling is to find out, to love people well enough to learn about them, to learn what they bring to this and how you might play a part in preparing a pathway. And that's going to look different. It, it very often is going to look like you speaking with candor and honesty, humble vulnerability about your own interactions with this, your own times of struggle, your own times of delight in the word. It could look like introducing them to a new podcast or a new app or a new musician. 
It might be clearing some logistical things off their plate so they actually have time to get into this. And I think most likely what it's going to be for most of us, most of the time is going to be just sitting quietly, no words of our own, being a safe place for them to share about their struggles, their doubts, the ways that this has been used as a weapon against them by other Christians. I really have no idea the ways that every single one of us will learn to love people well in this way. I only know that every single one of us is called to learn to love people well in this way, called to be alignment for Christ in this way. And lastly, and I'd love to invite the band up at this time, we cannot miss that we also have a part to play in our own experience of breakthrough, our own encounter of the living word. We cannot miss that you and I are so often the same as Cleopas and his companion, right? Eyes downcast, focused on the road, <laughs> minds a swirl with the events of our days, struggling to understand these lives that we're living, these times that we're living in, struggling to reconcile what is with what we thought would be or what we thought should be, how easy it is to miss his presence with us right on the road. How easy it would have been for Cleopas and his companion to just let the living Jesus keep on walking when they hit that fork in the road, but they don't. Something compels them to say, Jesus, well, not Jesus. They say, stay with us. They didn't know it was Jesus yet. They say, stay with us. And when they do, he accepts their invitation. He comes into their home. He breaks bread with them, and he opens their eyes to recognize him. And you and I are the same. That's what those marks are in our Bibles, right? Those moments where we recognize Christ with us. In the words, the Spirit testifying with our spirit about what is true about God, his kingdom, our lives, this life to come. And we can acknowledge that there are times when our eyes are prevented from recognizing him. This story teaches us that too, that it's not always up to us that recognizing part. But this story also shows us that we do nonetheless always have a part to play. And that is putting on our, ourselves in a position to experience breakthrough, which we learn in this account means being immersed in the word, studying it, knowing it well enough to be able to wrestle over it, talk to each other about it. And it also means moment by moment, day by day, making our prayer going forward. Stay with us, Jesus. Stay with us as we walk this road of life. Stay with us as we read the words that are ultimately always all about you. Would you stand and we're going to sing a song of worship together. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.